Welcome to Hindsight. I'm Corey Carter. And I'm Ron Poole. Let's get it started. On this podcast, we've hacked hundreds of entrepreneurs' hindsight to help you, the listener, with better foresight. Now, guys, if you want to know all about what we can do to help you focus on being you, head over to GetHHM.com. Keep pushing through those ups and downs that we all will have. We're still going to have amazing conversations with amazing people. Hindsight hacking boils down to amazing conversations with some amazing people. All right, everybody, welcome back to Hindsight Hacking. In today's episode, we have a gentleman here that has definitely done some very unique things, specifically another first for the show, Mr. Edward Rodriguez, the CEO and founder of BPN Capital Group. Now, BPN recently announced the first ever blockchain-based commercial mortgage deal to tokenize a real estate property. Edward believes that commercial mortgages are on the verge of becoming a new frontier in developing the use of digital tokens, technology-based way for small investors to own shares of big loans. Now, that is just the beginning of what Edward has going on. And so I'm going to let Edward tell us more uh, instead of me going on and on, because, you know, who's it better to come from? Definitely not from me. So Edward, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kari. Thank you, Ron, for having me and inviting me. And you cover it correctly. The, the, I, my background is in quantitative risk analysis, commercial mortgage-backed securities, commercial real estate, and, and real estate management. And to all of those industries, I learned a lot. And I found also that there was a huge disadvantage to the guys that don't have a lot of money on their management and that don't have a lot of capital. And I discovered blockchain late 2013, early 2014. And I saw that this technology could actually change all of that. And and back then it was just a dream. You see, I, I recall till today when I told my wife, who's my also my accountant back then, I told her, listen, I'm going to change the way that the finance system currently works and this technology is going to be at the verge of it and she looked at me and she was like you're crazy man and i'm like hey as I'm many not... wives do as yeah. most wives do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well the choker for her came in 2018 when i said i'm ready i'm i'm ready and i'm gonna start working on the i call it i remember like today i call it the bpn initiative and I said, I'm ready to start the BPN, the BPN initiative. And she looks at me and I mean, for her, it was madness because she knows how I get whenever I get focused like this on any project. I'm like a horse. I cannot look any other way. And I get laser focused until I get what it is that I determined to, to actually accomplish. And it was a long battle. I can tell you that we we. We have a very, I'm blessed to have a very good team. I had to go to over 300 people to actually put together the team I put together. Some of the original team members have go on their own ways. Because again, I'm like a horse, you know, I, I get laser focus and, and for them, it was a little bit too much, but hey, anything good takes determination and, and it takes time. And today I can say it was a long journey, but we got it. We finally were able to structure the, the deals in the way that we wanted to structure. And today we can say we can give the opportunity to guys that don't have billions of dollars to participate in structures that they will have the same benefit that the billionaires have. And I always like to, to say this. I didn't come up with the structure. I gave it the name and the structure I'm referring to, I call it the billionaire structure. And almost nobody talks about it. It's a structure where you come in with 20% of the cost to develop a project or a property, but day one, you own 40% of the equity. So that means any project you're developing, let's say it's a high rise, because mainly it's used for high rise development. Let's say you're developing a high rise. Well, a billionaire will come in and say, I'll put up 20% of the cost to build this high rise, but I want 40% of the equity. High rises regularly cost between 400 to 700 million to build. 20% of that 
is plus 100 mil. So obviously, it's not for everyone, right? Right, right. <laughs> I was must... trying to look at my piggy bank, and I was like, yeah, yeah. that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, but but I found a way where, where we actually can securitize that 20% and say, hey, instead of you having to come up with 100 million as a single partner, you can come into the structure and buy security tokens in the representation and pretty much on a piece of the high rise. You right. see, that's why you never seen anyone that's not worth billions say, oh, I own a percentage of the high rise. Well, that's <laughs> the reason. Because mainly the partner that comes in with the 20% is a billionaire that has a couple hundred million laying around and they get 40% of their equity. The other <laughs> benefit is even if the market goes south and you literally assume the worst of the worst, which is, let's say the market loss loses 50% value in the next two years. They just broke even, you see? So even losing 50% of the value of the asset, they just broke even. When the asset is finished, obviously the asset is going to be worth a lot more than what it costs to build. So they make 100% day one, and then they make the surplus from the project when it's finished, which is another sometimes 60 to 90%. And then in a couple of years, hundreds of percent. So we're giving that type of opportunity to accredited investors or smart family offices that be never before had access to stuff like this. Not only in real estate, many projects. Like today we're, we're working on a biofuel project with advanced Northwest, Northwest advanced biofuel with Delta Airlines to help Delta actually help. Delta has been one of the pioneers of saying, we want to lower our emissions. We want to be actually environment friendly. And they're one of the largest airlines in, in the world. And they are a big participant and they're supporting this project. They already write up a contract for the next 10 years to buy every single every single gallon of biofuel that Northwest Advanced Biofuel produces. Delta is buying it 100% for the next 10 years. That type of project before the same thing will only be accessible to the billionaires. You know, they, they got billions on their management. So they can come in and say, hey, here's 50 million. Here's 100 million. This time around, I'm doing it differently. You know, I'm, I'm opening the doors and giving a seat at the table to the guys that never before have had access to this type of stuff. I would love to say I understand blockchain, but that would be a flat out lie. <laughs> I would love to say I understand crypto. That would also be a flat out lie. But like I play in the world, right? And I think that's where a lot of investors are. They're like, okay, how can I maximize the smallest amount of investment to get the biggest returns? And, and that's, you're, you're letting just the average Joe play in like billionaires' pockets. Correct. And, and, and I, you know what upset me the most sometimes? When, when I go to these shows to talk, mainly blockchain or Bitcoin shows, I hear all these guys and they use all these fancy words. And, and I'm like, Guys, if you really want to teach and you want people to understand and you want them to have similar understanding to the one that we have that are inside the blockchain world, why not use simple terms? Mm -hmm. So if you want to really understand blockchain, all you have to, you just got to look at it as an accounting system that's based on a public ledger that's not hackable because it's shared among many different computers that even if you try to hack into it, by the time you're literally trying, it has already moved on to another server. So that's why it makes it so difficult to hack into it. You see? Because, mm -hmm. it's, again, it's, it's a network of millions of computers trying to solve and competing to solve the same mathematical problem, right? So in simple terms, look at it as the train, right? I'm going to use the train analogy. The train will be Bitcoin or whatever other use we can put on blockchain, right? Now the train railroad is blockchain because it runs on it. And the simplest way to look at it is back in the early 90s, a lot of people thought Yahoo was the internet, right? Right, right. Because, <laughs> and AOL, right? right? Because again, th those were the applications that we use the most back then. 
to this day, I remember when I got my first computer, I'm talking about 96, 97, Fujitsu. I'll never forget this. I remember asking, my brother was the one teaching me how to use it. And I remember asking him, because he told me, you need to have a messenger, you need to have AOL, you need to have Yahoo. And I remember asking him, well, why are these things so necessary? Because I was more interested on the software side and not really the offline side. And, and he told me, well, if you, you see, my brother used to live in Miami. I used to live back in the Dominican Republic. And he's like, well, if you want to communicate with me now, guess what? You can write through me through, through the internet, you know? And I like to give the same analogy. Back then, Yahoo was not the internet. The internet was the platform that Yahoo operated on. Same thing as blockchain, as blockchain and, and Bitcoin. You see, Bitcoin is pretty much the utility. It's the biggest case use that we have had for blockchain today. Now, is it going to be the same in 20 years? I doubt it because Yahoo is not a, as relevant as it right. was right. in the 90s, right? It was just one of the biggest case uses for the technology. And that's how I want people to look at it. I mean, today, 83% of everything we do, and this is based on studies that have been done by universities. I think it's even more. But universities have found that 83% of everything we do in the business world have to do with the internet. We have to use the internet to accomplish it. That's a large percent. Now, if you go to our personal lives, it's a very similar number. It's about 79% of everything we do. If you're looking at, you want to watch a movie, now you use the internet. You're going to buy groceries, now you use the internet. You want to educate yourself, now you use the internet. I mean, it's almost part of our daily daily lives. The first thing we do when we wake up is touch this thing, right? In 20 years, blockchain is going to be the same. And today, what a lot of people don't understand is, and, and just to correlate with what you were saying, do you fully understand how the self, cell phone technology works? Do you need to understand it? You just know it works, right? It's going to have, the same thing is going to happen with blockchain. You're not going to need to understand how it works. Anyone that comes out there, because again, I've been to so many expos that I have spoke on. Every time I hear a techie person talking about all the technicalities, I'm like, guys, nobody wants to know that. You got to simplify it. Because at the end of the day, when I wanted it to learn about this stuff, I'm the type of guy that I'm self-taught. I learn easier if I'm teaching myself, Right. And by researching, anyone that's like me that wants to learn, either is going to go into a course because we all have different learning learning styles. They are going to go enroll on a course and learn everything you're trying to tell them. Don't be so technical here. You see, they came to 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 see what you are actually saying, but you got to make it simpler. You got to make people grasp the information because even with the internet today, you go to five G expos. They don't talk to you about how 5G technology works. For Christ's sake, no. They tell you what are you going to be able to do with it. Right. That's what we should be concentrating on. That's what we should be talking about. I love it. And the whole piece is from the simplification is we, we need to trust, right? We need to trust the phone works. We need to trust that blockchain is working. And so before we, we kind of move on a little bit, I'd love to hear some of your stories about like a worthwhile crypto investment, about the whole pump and dump schemes that are out there. Because I, I think that's like the pump and dump specifically, that, that's going to give the antitrust, right? Like that's going to give the, the crypto world a bad name. And, and so I'd love to get your take on, on some of that and a couple of fun stories there. So I'll give you an example. There's, you have to separate things, right? Blockchain, we already established that is the system where crypto currently operates. And crypto is just a use case. Blockchain could be used for so many other things, it's not even funny. It can literally advance every single technology we currently use in the workforce. Doesn't matter which industry you're talking, including government, right? Now let's go to the other side, which is the crypto, the crypto industry. The problem within the crypto industry is that. You have to understand every single project that 
came out, I will say maybe in the early 16, 17, those projects, a lot of them were trial and error, right? We got to understand that a lot of people got way over their heads and they didn't look at regulation. I can tell you, I could have been doing, I could have have done everything I'm doing now in 2017. The only reason I didn't chose to was because I didn't feel comfortable with the regulation side. That's why every single structure we put out, out from BPN in US is going to be structured as a security token, okay? Because we want to comply with regulation. There is a, this big misinformation within the crypto space that regulation's bad. Regulation's not bad. Regulation's there to protect investors, is there to protect the people, right? And we live in a country that's heavily regulated, and that's what it makes our country be so successful. Because in an, in an, they got to look at it as a necessary evil. Because even though there's a lot of good people that have a lot of good intentions, there are bad actors out there that come up with a structure, they put flashy things on it, and then use the pump and dump strategy. And millions of hardworking people literally put their money on it and lose it, right? Yeah. So yeah, we got to call things by how they are. So I, I, I literally ask anyone, if you're putting your hard-earned money into any structure, remember, it's not that blockchain have failed you. No, no, no. The people running the project have failed you, okay? Sure. They have promised you that they were going to do something, with blockchain technology, and then decided, you know what, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to packet the money and call it a day. One thing has nothing to do with the other. The biggest problem blockchain solves is trust. That's the biggest problem blockchain really solves, okay? You can trust that if something gets put into the public ledger, it's impossible to change. You can trust that. The same way that you can trust that two and two will always be four, you see? So again, it's not the problem of the trust is not with the technology. The problem of the trust is with the people running the projects. Do I wish that we had a lot more hands and, and regulators to regulate all of these fraudulent projects? I do. But unfortunately, our government doesn't, doesn't afford to. I mean, there's not enough people to actually police all of the bad actors. Yeah. That's why if you see a project, that literally is registered in Wakanda or whatever of these countries that are very poor regulation countries. For Christ's sake, guys, I mean, they're doing it for a reason. Right. I mean, anything coming out of, or anything that looks too good to be true, really. I mean, look at the people behind the project. Anyone re telling you, oh, 500% return. Come on, guys. I mean, that doesn't exist. And, and I, I heard it. I've, I've seen projects come out and say 500% returns, 1,000% returns. I'll give you one, one, one that's even funnier. Oh, let's save the whales. We're going to do a project to save the whales. And when you ask what percentage of the money you raise is going to go to the whales, 5%. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh -huh. What's going to happen to the other 95%? Yeah. Come on, guys. I mean, there's no such thing as easy money, guys. It right. doesn't exist. And they just got to look out for those red flags. And again, I mean, if you see a company that's registering U.S., that's following and, and, and literally complying with regulation, has a team, has lawyers behind them, has a compliance, a compliance group, that's the type of project you want to be putting your money on, right. pretty much. Right. Bad actors are always going to exist. They remember this prior to blockchain, we had Ponzi schemes, right? Yeah, it's just the new Ponzi scheme, right? It's just it's just a new way for bad actors to literally read people off. And yeah, it's sad. I mean, every single industry has gone through this, right? We are at the early stages still, but I believe that in the next 10 to 15 years, just like it happened with the internet, only the truthful projects are going to remain standing. And, and pretty much you're going to see that just like the internet, you will see that all of those other bad actors are going to disappear. Right. Yeah.
No, I love it. I love it. So let's let's talk about let me switch gears a little bit. I know you've had uh, an amazing mentor in your life that has worked with some amazing people. His name was Jay Elliott, right? And he worked with Steve Jobs. I would love to hear. I would love to hear about that and how that's helped you. Well, I can tell you, Jay is 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 a a big piece of the puzzle. And like Jay, I have had so many other mentors. That I'm not gonna start mentioning names because if not, I'll forget one and then they'll get upset. And then they'll get upset. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I can tell you, man, that I, I'll say Jay is someone that saw what we were doing, understood it. Jay is a very smart person. He understood what we were doing and said, Ed, anything I can help with, I'm here. And pretty much when he said that, I said, Hey, then let's let's get it. Let's make it official. Let's make it official. Let's get the paperwork ready. I'll get the lawyers to write something. And Jay understands how a company goes from A to C. So to have his guidance in our in our board is, is just phenomenal. Remember, Jay was not only the VP of Apple. He worked at Intel. He worked at IBM. And, and this is a guy that helped Apple go from 300 million to 6 billion. Okay. And, and he this is the guy that literally met Steve Jobs at a very early age. And you can read about this. I mean, Jay has written books about this. Right. This guy made Steve, met Steve at a very, very early age and, and was able to see the brilliance, not just the guy, but also the brilliance behind the guy. A lot of other people that work with Steve only saw this brilliant guy that was sometimes frustrated or, or, or mad or someone that demanded people to work at a certain level. Jay didn't see that. Jay just saw the brilliance and the guy be behind the name. And that's why they were such a good team because they both respected each other. And, and again, I mean, I, for me, it's been an honor, you know, I mean, Jay has been someone that I highly respect. And, and when he heard the project, he, he was introduced to the project by someone else that we know in common. And when he, gave the approvals, approval to it. I was like, that's phenomenal. That's fantastic. Right. Ah, so fun. So fun. All right. So hindsight hacking, our goal here is to help our audience basically have better foresight through our guests hindsight. And so with that in mind, I'd love to hear a couple of stories of how in hindsight, what you learned from all the businesses that you started, including helping sell textbooks to your college peers, but, but yeah, tell it, walk us through. I mean, I know there's several businesses that you've been, been involved with and what's that kind of like special sauce that you feel got you through to where you are today, to being able to have BPN capital group. So I'll tell, I'll take you even further than the test. You see, my first business idea was a hot dog stand idea. I come from a family of three industries. We are business people, we are lawyers, and we are in the military. Those are literally the three industries. And in one side of the family, which is my mom's side, is military and business, right? And in my dad's side, it's either the legal side or business. That's it. And my mom's side, they, my grandfather had a lot of mini markets and also a huge commercial company that supplied to all of those mini markets. So by age 13, I was actually running the distribution center for the family, helping my grandpa. But by age 11, I actually convinced my dad to let me put the first hot dog stand in front of one of the mini markets. And by before I turned 12, I had about 14, 14 hot dog stands. But I figured out that what I was selling was not really hot dogs. You see, what I was selling was an experience because I bought a set of dominoes and I invited people from around the area to come play dominoes three times a week, right? It was Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. And they used to come together because through the week, and it is literally going back to it, it's, it's fantastic. I had the kids... We had schools around it, right? So I had the kids that came out of school to eat. But in the weekends, my business was dead. My hot dog stand was dead. And I was like, shoot, what do I do to create demand when I don't have the kids coming out of school to buy? Right, right, so right. I then bought this home Domino's set 
And I invited adults to come and play. And I said, sooner or later, they're going to get hungry. And when they get hungry, I'm going to be there to sell them a hot dog. And that's how we started. And then I multiplied the same exact model through all of the mini markets that my other family members have. And I started hiring my little cousins to actually do it. Because from, hey, from Friday to Sunday, they didn't have school. Right. And pretty much during the school days, one of the guys that work for the mini market will run the stand. Right. Because the kids already went to the mini markets to buy juice, to buy soda, to buy candy. Well, now they have a hot dog that they can eat. And the weekends, we, the kids from the family, will take care of the hot dog stand. So that was amazing. I, I figured out that what I was selling was not really hot dogs. What I was selling was the experience that people got together to be competitive with each other. And because I created these little tournaments and I would say, hey, whoever wins more games gets to be put in the table sharp. And I had a one to 10 position. You won literally five within the past two weeks. Well, you get put on the table sharp and people wanted to be there. Right. Right. Because if there is something that we humans like is recognition. (laughs) And that's how we that's how that started. Then back to the, the textbooks, I come to the U.S. My, my, one of my brothers says, I think you have a better chance of success if you move to the U.S. And at the beginning, I didn't want to. I, I had pretty much that business, the hot dog business, that for a kid, I was making good money, right? right. And at the same time, by 13, my grandpa asked me, I need help like running this to do the accounting of the wholesale business he had. And he was getting old and he said, I would love for you to help me because you're good with numbers. And I said, yes, grandpa, why not? So I was able to identify a lot of things that he should have been doing to save money. I'll give you one, for example, if he would have bought a hundred cases of beer in one single order, the beer company, which in my country is called Presidente, We'll give him an extra five back then, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But he was buying the quantity, but not in a single order. He was buying the quantity in multiple different orders. So obviously he always missed getting the five extras. Right. And like that, there's many other things that I f- was able to find. And then we were able to afford to lower the price to attract other people to come and buy to, to the wholesale store. And my brother convinced me to move to the U.S., when I start college, I see that college textbooks are crazy expensive. I didn't qualify for financial aid. So I, I go and I'm going to buy my textbooks. So when I go and I buy them, I saw that I bought one that my one of my, my cousins that was studying the same thing had. So I go to return it and I bought it for like 120 bucks. And when I go to sell it, they go, we'll give you 20 bucks for it. Right, right. And I'm like, what? I bought this yesterday. I haven't used it. I haven't scratched it. Are you mad? Right. And they go, no, no, no. That's the most we can give you for it. Then I go online and I try to sell it in Amazon. And I see that Amazon will take 17% of whatever I sell the book for. Uh And I'm like, for what? You're taking 17% for what? This is ridiculous. I mean, these people, this is a ripoff. So I get upset. I create this little club in school. And I started literally putting posters everywhere in the college that I wanted kids to meet close to the cafeteria and the, and the bookstore so we can trade both the first Monday of every semester and the last Monday of every semester. By the third semester that I was doing this, I get this letter from, from the school <laughs> saying that I am soliciting. And mind you, my English back then was not the best. So I'm like, what are these people even talking about? Right. Man, I go, I, ha- I had a little translator. I got him a translator and translator. And he explained me what soliciting is. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't make any money. I don't know what I'm doing. What are they even, t- I'm not selling anything. All I'm doing is getting kids to come here. And instead of sell their books to the school, well, if you sell it to me, I'll pay you 20 bucks more than the school would. I save money, you save money. I'm helping kids out. Why? What the heck is the problem? My brother tells me, well, that's how things work here. Yeah, you take and money from them. That was the correct. Problem. Correct. <laughs> so, so they, they, 
when I go and complain to the dean and, and go through the whole shenanigan, they go, listen, our cells have dropped. I right. mean, we need you to stop this. And, and guys, what I, I thought you were going to be happy right. because of what I was doing. I mean, I'm helping kids save money. And they're like, yeah. It's well, a business. It's a business, right? <laughs> it's a business. So it's a business. I created a website that did exactly, it, it actually turned out to be worse for them, right? Yeah. I created a website that did exactly what I was supposed to be doing there. The only difference now that it, instead of only affecting my school, it's was only, and now it's going to affect all of the school. And it was, it was madness. So I get a, I got right before I made it into a website, the school gave me a reprimand letter and a reprimand letter is like this letter they give you that if you don't stop what you're doing, they're going to spell you right. and they're going to say, they're going to send all of other colleges and university a letter saying, this guy's a troublemaker, be careful. Right. So right there in there, I said, school's not for me. You right. see, cause this is a business and I've been running a business since I was 11. And these guys are not, you see, in my end, when I was selling hot dogs, I knew that I was creating demand by making people hungry. I didn't have to cheat them or rob them Mm -hmm. to actually make them buy from me, right? And for me, that literally, it shifted. It was like, yeah, school's not for me. Unfortunately, I started going to school for courses that I really wanted to learn not to finish any any career really because it, it twisted you got to tell me things like they are if it's a business it's a business but don't tell me that you guys are an unprofitable organization <laughs> that you are for the best of the people that you are for the best of the kids forget that you sell that lie to someone else not to me when i created the site it, it reached a point i had seven point something million members and I'm like, these guys were complaining because I had around, <laughs> no, I had more. I had like maybe 400 students wow. that will come and meet and literally exchange books. Now I have seven plus million members. Right. Right. So look what you look at the monster you have really made. Right. 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 And just like everything in life, I got myself a bigger bully. So one of the biggest corporations in the world, the name of my website was Blast Books, right? So one of the biggest corporations in the world, I'm not going to share the name because we sign some docs with them, come and say, we, are, we have an infringement in their, in their trademark. And from, from there, I, I had a two plus year battle with, within the trademark, the trademark, US Trademark Administration office and went back and forth and finally, we got into an agreement where what I was doing kept being doing and pretty much we settled and, and he ended there. But I can tell you, I, I learned so much, even though those were the most stressful years of my life, I learned so much from the experience. I was able to get inside for one of the largest corporations in the world on how they run things. And at the same time, I was flattered, flattered because they were afraid of something I created to help out. And in a sense, to challenge what the school system and in the high level education system were doing to, to kids. Yeah. It's like, it's, 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 it was retarded. Why should we be let you rip us off that way? You know, we, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. And, 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 and that's that. And I think that one of the other things that made the, the college textbooks idea more successful was back then the reason that the schools were literally kind of had a hook for the kids was they give the kids a certain amount of money to spend in books through their financial aid and nobody else let you use that money you can only use it at the bookstore and what i did was pay i went out to paypal and i said hey paypal why don't you allow my kids to buy, they're going to pay you. I can tell you they're going to pay you. They're going to get this money within the next three weeks. Why don't you allow my kids to use PayPal and then they'll pay you later? And PayPal was just starting with a service called Pay Me Later. Nice. <laughs> so PayPal said, you know what? We're going to support you. We're going to work with you. We see what you're doing. 
And PayPal, I think I was one of the first guys that integrated, build me later to their website. And again, the kids were able to, instead of go buy their books at the school, they were able to come buy it from here. And PayPal was giving them six months interest-free to pay for their books. So, and it was it was fantastic. It, it oh was it was just fantastic. Oh my god, that is that's some crazy stuff, man. Both stories were phenomenal, but it tells you why you're so successful because there's determination. And I know there's people that are like clamoring to know like how they can get involved with you. Like, where can they find you? How can they get involved in this blockchain thing? Like, what what is what is on the horizon that you can help people get involved with you? Well. They can go to our website, www.bpncapitalgroup.io. They can find you find us also on the on the social medias. And we're gonna be today, we have about $2.7 billion worth of structures that we already signed, papered up, and that we're gonna be putting out in the near future. And they're gonna be able to buy into those structures that we have helped clients put together. Sorry, put together. And the reality is, the first thing I would do is we do a quantitative risk analysis, and then we hire a third-party firm to do one, and we'll give you the one that the third, because we don't want you to think, oh, yeah, of course, the quant analysis from BPN is going to say this is a great investment, because they're the one structuring it. No, we're going to show you the one that the third-party firm that has nothing to do with us will do, and we'll let you decide. Is this an investment I want to put my money on or not? And on structures that we go ahead and put together, what I call the billionaire structure, again, on, on those deals in equity, you'll see that you're coming in at 20%, you're getting 40%, and then you, you have that as an upside. You want to get out of the investment, which is what the current structure through the current marketplace doesn't have. You could, you could sell your tokens six months, 12 months after you, you, you come in to the structure because as the project advances, the value of the token is going to increase, right? right? So you can sell your tokens at any given moment. There's no restrictions. There's no limitations. And we're just kind of giving you the opportunity to sit at the table because back when I was a quant, I, will, I always, and I learned this actually from someone in the family office space that told me, I found myself in the same position you are today. And I said, what do you do? He said, I created my own table. You see, I was not allowed a seat at the table. I created my own table. I had a seat at the table, but I wanted to welcome others at the table. And I couldn't because I, I didn't have the say. Well, what did I do? I created a new table nice. where pretty much everyone can participate on and truly understand what they're putting their money on. I'll give you an example. In the commercial mortgage-backed security space, if you ask, I will say 100% professionals that are in the banking world or in the finance world, I will say about 75 to 80% of them are going to tell you we are not a part of the commercial mortgage-backed security space and we do not understand it. And mainly the guys that really, really fully understand it are the guys that do risk analysis against it. Because again, I mean, bankers are there. They remember they are paid based on performance. And that's why we had 2008 happen because you had people pushing stuff that they were being paid based on how many loans they're closed. They closed. Right, right. It's like telling a kid, we're going to give you candy based on how many toys you break. What are they going to do? They're going to break all their toys because <laughs> you just told them you're going to give them unlimited amount of candy based on the amount of toys they break. Is breaking toys a good thing? Not really. But hey, they're going to break it because you're going to give them candy in return. Right. It was the same thing with the bankers. If you tell bankers, we're going to give you bonuses based on how many loans you close, what are they going to do? They're going to close loans. And unfortunately, back then, the credit rating agencies, a lot of them weren't the, even in the same building as the banks that were underwriting the loans. They were really not looking at it. I, I get people tell me, because in the quant space, I was able to get investors out of the marketing time to not lose a lot of money. And I get people tell me, oh, you're a rocket scientist. You're so smart. You're this, you're that. I'm like, guys, that's not true. The only thing I did was look. 
I did my job. You see, I was hired to do a job. I did my job, right? That's it. Because th there were some stuff that we found within some of the files that we were working with, with big banks, okay? That when we looked at it, we just wanted it to cry. Right. That's how bad it was. It was, it was impossible to miss it. Right. And then you got people saying, oh, you are a rocket scientist. I'm not, I'm not no rocket scientist, for Christ's sake. All I did was my job. I did what I was hired to do. Right. I looked. I analyzed what I was hired to analyze. And we do the same in every single structure that we put out of BPN. We'll look at the risk. Every investment has risk. Every single investment has risk. But when you like to know what the risk is, they want, without anyone telling you, this is a monkey with lipstick. We don't want a monkey with lipstick. We want to show you exactly the monkey without the lipstick. This is how it looks. Do you want to invest one or not? Ah, Edward, uh, I've, I've loved this conversation and, uh, and I'll tell you why. Ron and I, we try to attract people in a way that uh, if you're just about the money, we don't want to do business, right? Like, it, and we're just in marketing, right? And and so we want people that have a message that they want to share that impact people to help make people and make this world a better place. And everything about this conversation with you, it tells me that you lead with a genuine desire to be upfront, be honest, help people be better, help welcome to them to the table that you've created, which. I love all of this. And so my last little question for you then was, what do you, what advice do you give to people to lead that way to whether it's being heart centered or however you want to call it? Like, how is that done for you? And how, like, what's the advice that you give people to assist? It's okay to lead with your heart. It's okay to lead by being a good person. And cause that's exactly what I feel everything that you're about. I feel like I want to go invest in BPN in that crypto because now I understand that this, the person that is leading it is is leading it for good cause and, and not one of these, you know, any kind of scam, any kind of negative thing. Like you seem like you're leading from such the right place that I want to personally invest. So like, what's that advice that you give for people? So I can tell you that, I have been very lucky in life because I am the youngest in my mother's side, the, the oldest in my mother's side and the youngest on my father's side, right? And I have, my oldest brother is 59, okay? My youngest brother is 21. So as a middle child, I learned from all of my oldest brother's mistake. And at the same time, at my mom's house, I had to be the leader. How do I think I was able to accomplish to find the perfect medium to lead was by fully understanding that we are all living in borrowed time. And unfortunately, people think that money is everything. That's not accurate. Even though money helps you, at the same time, if you're sick, there's nothing you're going to be able to do with that money. You see? So if you lead with the saying of, I want to leave a, a, an impact when my barrel time is over because we are, I like the analogy of the yogurt. I don't know if you have, you guys ever heard of it. All yogurts have an inspiration day and it's outside. You flip it, you look at it. There's an inspiration day. We all, all human beings have an inspiration day. We just have it inside. We don't know when it's going to come. And I always like to live my life in a way that if tomorrow was my last day, even if I don't know it, I could feel that I will live in peace because I never did anything that will hurt someone else, not only in business. And a lot of people would say, yeah, but you're going to lose money if you do business that way. I don't want that money. Okay. Sure. That's not good money. Not all money is good money. Okay. Yeah. I'm the guy and I can tell you this. And, and, and I, part of that battle that I mentioned to you, I had with that huge company was part of the reason I actually discovered this. I am the guy that said no to $50 million at 21 on a company, Blastbooks, that was making me no money, okay? I was not rich. I was not poor. I was the guy that put together something that was made to help people, okay? Because right. Right. I didn't create Blastbooks to make money. So 
when I was offered and the number went up and up and up. And after it got to a point, I was like, for Christ's sake, there's not really a number that will make me agree to what they were set, they were trying to buy from me. Because the terms within those terms, there were things that I didn't agree with and that I wouldn't feel good literally if I would have done it. So if you lead anything, it could be a company, it could be your family, it could be your friend's relationship with the sense of you're, you know you're living in barrel time and pretty much, yes, it may make you money now in the short term, but it's going to lead up impact to people's lives when it's going to affect them within a certain amount of time, then that money is not worth it. That's not money that you want to make. Okay. And it is sad that we are not living by the principle because at the end of the day, generations from now, I may be forgotten, but something I did may affect my future generations. And we are so selfish to not see that. You see, I want to leave the world in a better place than I found it. Because at the end of the day, I have kids. My kids will have kids and their kids will have kids. You see, if you lead that way, I am telling you, I am telling you as a fact that you will leave the place, the world in a better place than you found. Because you won't make decisions based on money. See, a lot of people make business decisions based on how much money they're going to make. I don't do that. My decisions are based on, first, what's the risk? And second, how is it going to impact society? That's really the message. And a lot of people will say, hey, I'm too romantic about it or, or, or an extremist about it. Well, at the end of the day, if you know, we are all mortals. I'm a young guy still. I'm 32. But I can tell you I can die tomorrow. And that's what we don't get. Our society doesn't get that. Just because I'm young and I'm healthy, it doesn't mean I may not die tomorrow. I could get into a car accident tomorrow and that's it. Last day. Last time I saw my kids was the day before. That's the last thing my kids are going to remember from their dad. And if I did something that three years later may affect my kids, I'm not there anymore. It's going to affect them regardless. Right. And that's what we don't see. We have a lot of leaders out there that they lead and they think that their employees and their team work for them. Total opposite. Okay. I work for my team. You see, I have the pleasure to work for my team. I have the pleasure to wake every day and do something with a group of people that I enjoy doing it with. Okay. 99% of leaders, unfortunately, believe, oh, they work for me. My assistant works for me. My accountant works for me. My lawyer works for me. My compliance officer works for me. That's that's not how I see my company. I have the pleasure of working with every single human being that has decided that they have a shared interest with me and they want to join the journey and Five, 10 years from now, this may become a huge company and we all get to celebrate and say, oh my God, look at what we were able to do for humanity. Sharing is caring and it's an old saying, but not a lot of us do it. It's easy to say it, very hard to do it. And I I think that that's the secret. When you lead with that, I think that that pretty much is the secret to success. That's the secret sauce. And It's not so secret. It's just a lot of people are not willing to do it, unfortunately. So true. So true. Ed, we appreciate your time today. We are excited that you came on the show. Amazing stories. And yeah, your heart is exactly aligned with what we do and how we believe. So it was a pleasure chatting with you today. And we thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for having me. And again, I mean, anytime you want to do this, just let me know. And last thing I want to leave you with, I, I wrote a personal quote. And and the quote goes, society must embrace structural changes because things will never be what they were before. You see, after things change, they won't come back. If you ask someone to go back to the typewriter, what do you think they're going to tell you? They're going to laugh at you. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going back to no typewriter. Are you mad? Well, that's exactly it. So I can tell you, you either get on the bandwagon now, get familiarized with 
there's a lot of phenomenal projects out there. Aside from ours, even, there's a lot of exciting things that are currently being done. And you want to participate? Blockchain is actually a very good way to participate. A lot of the people that are involved within the blockchain industry, we want everyone to participate. We are not just only talking to the dot, literally the 1%, okay? Even though we have access to the 1%, we don't want to cap it there. We want to have inclusion. So you must embrace the structural changes, guys. It's, it's just, it's part of evolution. You see, I'm not going to be, every day I'm a different person because every day I learn something. You see, every single day I learn something new. And people think they die when they stop breathing. That's a total lie. That's when you are clinically dead. Okay, that's when a doctor says you're clinically dead. You die the day you stop learning. The day you stop learning, that's the day you really, you're dead. And again, I mean, I, I just wanted to leave you with that. And it was a pleasure to be on the show, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Edward. Definitely a blast. And look forward to getting to know BPN more in the future. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, guys. Have a thank great one. All right, Ron. That was fun. That was a lot of education. Edward has some fun stories. And through those stories, I'm guessing there's a takeaway or two that you've got for us. I love it. it it's about creating demand and adding value to whatever you do. Right. And he talked about the hot dog stand. Right. Mm -hmm. His goal was to sell hot dogs. Right? But that's not how he focused. He wanted to create value, create an experience, brought in dominoes and created this whole thing. And we figured, meh. When they get hungry, they'll eat, but let's have some fun with it. So that was brilliant. Well, the other takeaway is have a laser focus on what you want and go get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's man. There's he had, he had a lot. He had a lot there. Like one thing that stuck with me was uh, he made a comment. Anything good takes determination. Right. And so like, and I just think about like any CEO, any business founder, like, they had to have had determination to end up with any kind of success because they kept getting, you know, knocked down. Right. And we get back up as it, like any uh, entrepreneur goes through this. And, and then obviously the ethical, the, the lead by the heart being genuine, uh, I mean, fits right in with everything that we're doing. And so for, for anybody that might be playing in the crypto world, go check out BPN. It aligns with people doing things for the right reasons in the right way. So all the links will be in the show notes. Definitely a blast having this conversation. And, you know, always, always fun to have a first on the show, right? Absolutely. So, all right. Thanks so much for watching listening and being a part of everything. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, guys. Did you know that Hindsight Hacking Media Agency, we do all things podcasts from launch. If you're already doing 10,000 downloads in a week, we handle everything. All you have to do, record it and forget it. Guys, if you're launching a podcast, get with these guys. I could not honestly hit the charts without them. I'm not getting paid for this, but working with both of you, the professionalism and the system that you guys had to launch the podcast, you guys killed it. We want to help the impactors create an impact by just letting you be you and not worry about all this other crazy stuff. Connect with us. All the links will be in the show notes. See you next time. Go create an impact.